Thank you, Aaron and band, as we let us in this time of worship. It's good to be here. Uh, uh, today could have been a perfect storm, right? Uh, it's spring break. Uh, it's raining. It's that good old time change weekend. Uh, there's a lot of pollen in there. Uh, our senior pastor's out of town. And uh, so, uh, perfect storm, right? But you chose to be here today. And that's a, an awesome thing that you came to, to worship God in spite of all the stuff that's going on in around town and all that, but we're good. it's good to be in God's house to, to be able to worship Him. Uh, uh, as, we, uh, as we gather together today, we're going to be uh, uh, looking in the book of Romans, chapter 8, if you want to go ahead and turn there. We're going to spend a lot of time there. Uh, in fact, we're going to read the whole thing uh, in portions. And uh, uh, as I was preparing this week, someone asked me earlier this morning, uh, how do you prepare? Do you get told what to preach? No. Uh, uh, well, yes but not by the pastor. We get told by the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. And, and it just kept coming back, Romans 8. And I kept thinking, okay, all these key passages of Romans 8, uh, it's about freedom, it's about uh, condemnation, it's about uh, you knowing who God is and His Spirit working in us. And so which passage? And, and it just kept coming back saying Romans 8. So, uh, uh, so I guess I finally decided this week that we're going to look at the whole chapter, uh, the entire chapter of Romans 8. So, uh, uh, and we'll be reading uh, quite a bit of it. So uh, Romans 8 has been called some, by some people as the most wonderful chapter in all of Scripture. Uh, uh, because it begins with no condemnation for us as believers. Uh, it continues in the middle that, that we have no rejection from God and who He is. Uh, and then it ends with a beautiful promise that there's no separation with, with God uh, in Christ Jesus. So it spells out for us that if God is for us, uh, uh, and if we are in His Son, Jesus Christ, we are new creatures. So we have a new self, and we have believers that... Uh, that uh, allow the work of the Holy Spirit lead and guide us as it works in us. So it's a it's a wonderful passage, and, uh, and again, we're going to read through quite a bit of it, and it's uh, from from the entirety, from verse one all the way through. So uh, uh, in sections, but uh, and then we'll kind of talk a little bit about each one. So uh, so if you will join me again, chapter eight, uh, uh, we'll start with verse one. Uh, the Bible says, therefore. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their mind set on things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raises Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. So we'll fill Paul's right there and just think about how this begins. Uh, as Paul started the passage with one word, therefore, 
Uh, when I was in seminary, almost all of my professors would tell us as we studied, if there was ever uh, the word therefore in scripture, make sure that you figure out what it's there for. Uh, and there's a lot of truth to that because uh, as we looked at this, Paul set the tone at the very beginning. He wanted to tell us, this is what I believe, that I can speak truth to you from God's word. Uh, I can prove what I'm saying. And so this is what he says. If we are one with Christ and he is our head, we can't be condemned. The simple declaration, there's no condemnation, but only the no condemnation is for those who are in Christ. Uh, notice that the, the word doesn't say there's less condemnation. It says no condemnation. Sometimes I believe that we as believers that live in this world think that when we uh, surrender ourselves to Christ that, that we can kind of do what we want and that, and that God will, will, will judge us for some of the things that we do uh, even though we should be living for him. But the Bible doesn't teach that. It teaches that we shouldn't be of the flesh. We should live in the spirit. And there is no condemnation for what uh, we do and how we live uh, uh, because we should be living by the spirit. It's a simple declaration that Paul gave. Uh, you know, I look at our relationship with Christ and it's not uh, the fact that our standing is really improved with Jesus. It's not just improved, but it's transformed transformed into a new life, into a life that has no condemnation. But the sad thing is the flip side is true. For those who are not in Christ Jesus, the Bible teaches us here that there is condemnation. And in this world that we live in, I think it's so important for us as believers to tell others the truth from God's word. How else can they be called to repentance if they don't know the truth? Uh, a lot of people say it's not our business. We shouldn't bother with someone. We shouldn't judge them. It's not up to us to judge, but it's up to us to speak truth. Uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, basically said, It is no pleasant task to us to speak of this matter. But who are we that we should ask for pleasant task? What God has witnessed in Scripture is the sum and substance of what the Lord's servants are to testify to the people. If you are not in Christ Jesus and are walking after the flesh, you have not escaped condemnation. In other words, we need to speak truth to people so that they'll understand that they, if they don't change their ways, if they don't follow Christ and repent, if they don't become a follower of, hers, of his, and if they keep living a life in the flesh, a life of sin, that they're going to die and go to hell. And that's on us. And it's so important for us that, that we speak those truths, but not in a judgmental way, uh, but the way that Paul speaks in the book of Ephesians where he said we should speak the truth in love. Uh, so that we can help free people who are living under the, the guise of sin in their lives. So living those fleshly lives. Uh, you know, a few years ago, <clears throat> it was actually during one of the interim times, and I, was, I think I was about the, one of the only people on staff, and I was uh, actually summoned for jury duty. Has anybody been summoned for jury duty? Something we all love, right? So, not many hands. So, a few, okay. Don't you love it when you get summoned for jury duty? You're like, oh. You know, and I tried to play the pastor card. Uh, I mean, I, I contacted them and said, I'm a pastor. I'm the only one on staff. Who, if I'm in trial, who, who's going to take care of the church? Didn't work, you know. Uh, had to go in before the, the judge and had to stand there. Did, I did the uh, survey that they sent out. I put everything that I could. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a right winger. I'm a conservative Baptist pastor. I believe in the death penalty. I believe that people should be punished to the fullest extent of the law. And I thought, and that, they're going to turn me loose. Nope, it's 
still made it through. They ask all those questions. How many of y'all uh, uh, know anyone that's involved in this crime? And it was a crime of an embezzlement of a bank. And, uh, uh, and I actually knew one of the bankers. He was from Sylacauga. And I went, I know him. Uh, I know him. Didn't matter. So, uh, have any of y'all had a crime committed against you recently? And just a few months before that, we had our, our explorer broken into at our house, and uh, they never found who did it. So, I had a crime. Uh, I kept thinking, the more I tell them, the more they'll turn me loose and say, you don't have to do this. But guess what? Number 13. That was me. Unlucky 13. So, uh, I got chosen. Uh, and then they asked me to serve as the foreman of the, the jury. And I went, nope, I'm going to do that. So we actually served as the, the vice foreman. Uh, anyway, the trial went on. I don't know if the guy was guilty or not. Uh, he may have been. But, uh, you know, they, they presented all their facts. They talked about all the different things that went on. And we all listened. And, uh, and, uh, and you know, the, the prosecution did their thing. The defense did their thing. And then we went back to debate, uh, to deliberate as a jury. And I, I, I sat and listened, and people talked a different way. And finally, the, the only thing I really said was, you know, I think the guy might be guilty, but I don't think they proved it. And then the lady sitting next to me said, that's kind of the way I feel. And then about 10 minutes, we came up with a verdict of not guilty. And I hope he was not, you know. Uh, and so we went and gave that verdict. And the guy was like, oh, thank you, thank you. And he left the courtroom, and then we were dismissed. So uh, when we talk about telling people about Christ and, tell, and con confronting them on their sin, it's not like we're the judge and the jury trying to convict them of that. It's that we are believers who are trying to keep them from going to judgment before their father. So, so it's important for us to understand the difference. Uh, uh, I mean, if you look at these verses, we see that God uh, does condemn the sins of the flesh. But it also gives us hope as believers that we gain our freedom from this condemnation because of our relationship with Jesus. Because God sent Jesus to be the sin offering, to take our place, uh, to take that sin that's uh, from us as believers that sins of the flesh and separated, as the Bible says, as far as east is from the west. A couple of years ago, our daughter Mallory got uh, Jan and I involved and started listening to some podcasts, uh, mostly about uh, uh, crime. And so when we travel, we listen to podcasts. I was telling some people earlier, we, we watch uh, Discovery Plus. We watch a lot of the crime shows and all that. And Jana says, sometimes she doesn't know what that really says about herself because we spend most of our time watching about uh, things that happen to bad, you know, bad things that happen to people, uh, crimes that are committed, or people who disappear, uh, and those type things. But uh, uh, we went to Louisiana this past week to visit her parents, and we listened to this podcast that Maria told us about, uh, and uh, uh, listened to it the whole time we traveled. And the, 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 it's about a guy uh, who was basically on trial for murder, uh, uh, and uh, he had he had confessed early to the murder while he was on drugs, and then he recounted his confession, uh, and that there was a whole uh, episode of, uh, of everything that went on. And so, uh, so the trial went on, and it was pretty, you know, it was pretty intense podcast. And as we listened, I, you know, they had a lot of testimony. A lot of people would stand up and, and talk, and they, they recorded a lot of that. Uh, uh, the, the, you know, the defense made a, a, a passion plea. The, the prosecution tried their best, uh, and, and he talked about his struggles that he had and the remorse that he had through that during his, uh, when he was on, uh, on the stand. And, uh, but he did admit that he, uh, 
help dispose of the body. Uh, so he was guilty of that. Uh, and, uh, but there were five other counts. All five counts were of, of different counts of murder. So uh, anyway, it's this, the tension kept building throughout the whole podcast. And when at the very end, it finally became the, the episode of the verdict. And you could just feel the, you know, how they do, if you ever listen to those, you know, they had the music, the drama that's going on. And you're waiting, and, you, and they, you know, they, they keep putting it off and putting it off till you're just on your edge of your seat as I'm driving down the road wanting to know, is the guy guilty or innocent? And the jury came back. Uh, count one, not guilty. Count two, murder, not guilty. Count three, not guilty. Count four, not guilty. Count five, guilty. I mean, count five, not guilty, I'm sorry. Then count six, guilty, and that was disposing of the body. So not guilty of the five of the most the serious parts of this, this murder investigation. And though he was guilty of number six, uh, he was acquitted of the things that were going to send him away for life. And again, listen to the podcast and listen to the people talk. I don't know if he's guilty or not, but he was, the jury decided that he was not guilty of murder. And when they interviewed the lawyer at the end, uh, and he said he stood there when the, when the verdict was getting ready to be announced with his hand on his client's shoulder. He said, and he said, you could just feel the tension in him. And when he had the not guilty please, I mean, when the not guilty sentences thrown out, he said, you could just feel the tension disappear. That he was just, uh, it was gone uh, because he was determined that he was not guilty of the murder. You know, I think that sometimes us as believers, you know, before we become a follower of Christ, do you remember those times where we were living lives in the flesh? We were doing things we know we shouldn't do. We, we were committing those sins that we know we shouldn't commit. Uh, we were living a life we know that, that God didn't want us to, to live. And it just kept building and kept building until the tension is there. And then when you finally just give yourself over and surrender to God and he, he takes that sin away from you, just the release of that tension I think I, I can just picture that. Uh, what a wonderful feeling that must be uh, uh, to, to have that just totally taken away from you. Uh, our men's Bible study on Wednesday night that we've been studying, uh, we've been studying a, a study called The Way of the Master, and it's about sharing your faith. Uh, but they, they use an illustration that's shared it this way. He said, imagine that you have committed a great crime, and you spend your time in court, and you know that you've done these sins of the flesh, and you know that you're guilty. And the judge gets ready to hand down the sentence. And someone comes into the room and offers to take your place and pay your fine, uh, serve your sentence, and the judge frees you. How would that feel? It would feel wonderful, wouldn't it? And that's what Jesus did for us. Every one of us were guilty. Uh, and, and in the book of Romans, Paul talks about the sins of the flesh. But as we as believers, when we begin to live in him, in Christ, those sins of the flesh are removed. And because we live in Christ, there is no condemnation for us. I think it's a beautiful story. Just like we sang about today. Once there's no condemnation, we're free. We are free to live the life that God wants us to live. Free in Christ. It's a wonderful feeling because you can just feel uh, how God wants to work in your life because of it. The Holy Spirit will raise you up like Christ, is what Paul says, and provide you a life of righteousness. Righteousness, living in right standing with God. So if you don't have that freedom, if you don't, 
If you've not ever experienced that, uh, would you want to? I would hope the world would want to do that. If you look around our world that we live in today, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of culture of things that need to be changed. But what needs to be changed is people living in the Spirit, living for Jesus, doing the things that Jesus wants us to do. Paul continues in verse 12 and says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by the God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. You know, this passage reveals to us that with this freedom that we have in Christ, it also comes with an obligation. We can't just live the way we want to. Uh, sometimes things of the flesh may seem enjoyable. They may seem fun. They may seem like it's the things that we want to do because maybe others are doing it and we want to join in. Uh, but the Bible tells us we need to set aside those sins and we need to live a life of righteousness uh, because we are co-heirs with God. He has chosen us to be His. So as a believer, we need to understand what it really means by that. When my brother and I were younger, uh, my dad used to tell us uh, all the time that we need to live a life that honors God. But he used to also say we, uh, that he would tell us, he said, you know, your last name is Bagwell. Uh, you don't need to do anything to dishonor the, the Bagwell name. Uh, uh, don't ever bring dishonor to your family. Uh, and I think about that as a Christian. Don't you think we should do the same thing? Uh, as followers of Christ, as Christians, we should never do anything that dishonors the name of Christ. So we should live those lives worthy of Him in Christ, not things of the flesh, but things of the Spirit. Uh, verse 15 here points out that the Holy Spirit is the means by which we can call out to God as our Father because we're adopted into His family. Uh, we are chosen. We are heirs uh, and co-heirs in Christ. Uh, Paul only used this Greek word of heirs five times in all of his letters he's written. Uh, he used a, a different word m many times, but these times he used five. And, and this specific Greek word was basically uh, a word saying that once you were adopted into a family, that you have complete uh, legal act that you ensured the same rights, the same inheritance as all other offspring of the family. Uh, so as followers of Christ, we have, as heirs of God, we have everything that God promises, everything in the scripture, because we're, we're co-heirs with Jesus, because we're, we're like his brother, and we get the inheritance just like he does. And that inheritance is living a life of, of uh, godliness and glorifying, being glorified in heaven as we live for him. I think it's really important that we, we understand uh, what it really means to be uh, heirs. You know, again, my parents passed away just a few years ago. Uh, my brother, Bill, uh, was the executor of, our, of the estate, if we called it an estate. Uh, he handled all the legal stuff. Uh, I, he was a lot smarter than I was, so, uh, so I let him do it. Uh, and, but, you know, when it came time to, when it came time for the property, uh, we were co-heirs. We were able to divide everything evenly. Uh, what he got, I got. 
Uh, you know, the, the same thing with us in Christ. We're heirs of God. So our promises of eternity, we have. The glory that, that Jesus has in heaven, we have as, as his followers. So it's important for us to understand what it really means to be heirs of God, that he's chosen us to be uh, who we are so that we can follow him and we will eventually be in a glorified body uh, with him in heaven. Paul also continues in verse 18 through 30. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. For creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. You know, when I read this, I think about, you know, it says the world groans. You look, the, you look at the world around us. You look at the things that we see on social media, the things we see on the news, the things we just see in the world we live in, you know, don't you know the world groans over that? Uh, the spirit groans when he sees that. And we groan. Uh, you know, the older I get, I think I understand this more. I think I understand groaning more and more. Uh, when I get out of bed in the morning, I groan. Uh, especially this morning, losing an hour of sleep, right? Uh, it was a big groan. When I walk up the stairs to my house or up to my Sunday school class, you know, there's times I just groan. Uh, when I go for a walk or ride my, our, our bike, I groan. Uh, that's not what Paul's talking about, is it? He's not talking about physically groaning. Uh, he's talking about the, all creation groans because the world is a fallen place, the world that we live in. And we look around us, we see brokenness, we groan. When we look around us and we see our loved ones choosing to go down the wrong path, the path of sin, the path of living in the flesh, we groan. When we see our friends and our family make wrong choices, we groan. When we see our friends and family struggle with addictions or struggle with sicknesses, we groan. And we don't know what to say, and we don't even know what to pray. The beauty is the Bible says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us when we groan enough to where we don't even have the words to say where we are. God speaks for us through, the, through us, through the Holy Spirit. I think I 
probably could say we've all been there, hadn't we? Maybe it's been at the bedside of someone in your family who's been sick, a loved one, a child that's sick, and we cry out to God and we hope and pray that he'll answer, but we don't always hear those answers. And so there's so many times that we've just sat there and we didn't know what to say and we didn't know what to pray and we didn't know what to do. The most wonderful thing in Scripture here, it says that when we're in that situation, God knows, and the Holy Spirit speaks on our behalf. I don't know if that makes you feel any better, but it sure makes me feel a whole lot better to know. It's comforting. Uh, it's comforting that God loves me and loves us so much that in spite of the broken world we live in, He understands. He understands our deepest thoughts. He understands our pain, our sorrows. And the Holy Spirit is always there, even when we don't know what to say. Uh, and then he goes on, and I know that Romans 8, 28 is a favorite verse of many, many believers. It says, we know that all things work together for the good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. You know, it doesn't say all things are good. And I think we all know that. But all things work together for good. I think we can all agree that in this fallen world, there's probably a lot more bad that's going on than we care to acknowledge. We try to ignore it sometimes, but it's there in front of us. Uh, uh, you know, there's so much sickness. There's so much pain. You know, we just went through such a terrible time of the life of our country with the, the pandemic and so much pain that we went up through that. Uh, <clears throat> and how do we say all things work together for good when all those things are happening around us? <clears throat> we, we believe by faith. That's what God really means. Uh, if we really believe what God's script word says, what Scripture teaches us, all things work together for good. We may not understand it, and we may not ever understand it until we spend our time in glory. But at some point, we'll see that as a believer, if you are a believer, everything that goes on in your life works together for good. Uh, it's hard for us to understand, isn't it? when you're standing by someone who's hurting, by someone who's struggling, when you're in pain and you see your life falling apart. But just know that God's word tells us that he's there for us and it works together for good. Uh, you know, as beautiful a passage as that is, sometimes I think it's one of the hardest passages in scripture to know. Because we look at things on the human standpoint. We look at things kind of finitely. God's a, a God of infinite. Uh, he, we don't understand some things. But when we get to heaven, when we have our glorified body, uh, when all the pain is gone and all the tears are gone, we'll understand. Uh, so I just challenge you, don't give up on the Spirit when things are going bad. But just know that all things are going to work together for good. Well, then Paul continues in verse 31 through 39. He says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for all of us. How will he also not with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God, and he intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
as it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, and all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow, what a passage, right? I I love history. And so when I read this uh, this week, I thought, you know what? I'm going to look up some of the famous conquerors around the world uh, throughout history. And there's like, if you, if you Google it, there's a list. I mean, there's, there's people, I, names I can't even pronounce. But uh, uh, as a history person, and I, as much as I love it, I, I picked out some of the ones that I, that I, that I know about. And, and I thought I'd just share with you some of the things about some of the conquerors, both good and evil, mostly evil. Uh, Genghis Khan left the mountains, uh, left mountains of skulls in China as he uh, went to war. History says mountains of skulls. It's a lot of dead people. Uh, uh, Attila the Hun was known as the scourge of God. Charlemagne defended Christian Europe from Muslims, but also supposedly beheaded thousands in a single day. Uh, hmm. Julius Caesar transformed Rome from a republic to an empire before he was assassinated by his friend. Uh, Napoleon, widely considered one of the greatest military leaders in history, but he died in solitude. Alexander the Great was known as a military genius and also helped change the world culturally by uh, spreading the Greek Hellenistic culture throughout the world before he died at the age of 32. And you could just go on and on and on and talk about these people who were known as conquerors. But these aren't the type of people the Bible's talking about. When he says we are more than conquerors, Paul says that we're conquerors not through our own ability, but that we're, we are conquerors because the love of God changes everything in us. We become a conqueror that overcomes with great power, and that power comes from Jesus. We become a conqueror that overcomes because of great motives, and our motives is to, to celebrate the glory of Jesus. We become a conqueror that overcomes with great victory. We never lose life's battle because God's fighting for us. We become a conqueror that overcomes with great love, conquering enemies with love and converting persecutors with patience. We're not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. And then it says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Uh, Alexander the Great had one of the great quotes in history. He said, I'm not afraid of an army of lions being led by sheep. I'm afraid of an army of sheep being led by a lion. It's a pretty good quote. But listen to the quote that Paul used in verse 36. Because of you, you are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Isn't that quite a contrast? Uh, the sheep that we are, we're to die to ourselves. Maybe not physically today, but we should die today to ourselves. To die from, to die from our fleshly desires. 
And yes, we'll all die at some time. But when Paul talks about our spirit, he's talking about our spiritual death. Die to yourself every day. Uh, put those things of the flesh aside. Let the Holy Spirit live in you. Uh, let him guide you. Live for him. Uh, our challenge is to die every day so we can put the things of the flesh, as the Bible says in Hebrews, that sin that so easily entangles you so we can put it aside and live like Jesus and love like Jesus. And then we can be more than conquerors, more than conquerors for him. And finally, Paul ends the chapter with what's been called his grand persuasion. Verse 38, he, uh, he says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other cre created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am persuaded. I guess the question is, have you ever been persuaded? Uh, have you been persuaded, been persuaded to follow Christ, to live in His Spirit, to live like He wants you to live? Do you really believe that, that nothing good or bad in this world can change God's purpose for you? Look at your heart and make sure that your heart's in the right place. Maybe today you're not in Christ. I would think in a, in a room like ours, every Sunday we have people that come to a worship service, but they're still not living in Christ. Uh, if you're not, you can have that freedom that Paul talks about, the freedom that we sang about. Uh, are you living in the flesh or are you living in the Spirit? Has sin controlled you? If it has, you need to give yourself over and surrender to God. And the Holy Spirit will lead you to live a life of righteousness that only God can do. So that's our challenge today. Are we living a life in the Spirit? Are we living a life apart from the flesh, serving God the way He wants to, wants us to? Uh, so important that when we come to this place, we just don't walk in the door and sing some songs and listen to some, a message and walk out the door without our lives changed. God wants to change us. So I challenge you, if you've never given your heart over to Jesus, today's the day of salvation. Don't wait. Uh, you don't know if there'll be a tomorrow. Uh, but I, I do hope that if there's someone here today that doesn't know Christ, there are plenty of people that would love to tell you about Jesus and how he's transformed our life and made us into the person that he wants us to be, living for him. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, I just thank you so much for this day uh, and for the privilege that we have to come to your house to worship you, the privilege we have to sing songs of praise to you, and the privilege we have to listen to your words through your scripture. And I pray, Lord, you'll put it in our hearts to live for you each and every day. And I pray that if there's a man or a woman or a child here today that doesn't know you as Savior and Lord, that uh, there's something that was done or said or sung today through your Holy Spirit, that you will lead them into this freedom that we have in you. Uh, Father, if there's a believer here today that knows that they haven't been living in the Spirit, I pray that you'll lead us uh, to make those decisions, to, to do the right thing, to live the right way. And Father, if there's someone looking for a place to, to, to be a part of a church family, I pray that you'll speak to those today. Uh, 
if this is where you want them to be. But most importantly, Lord, I pray that you'll help each one of us look in each deep into our own hearts and say, Father, how much you love us and how much you want us to, to be glorified uh, and to be with you forever and ever in eternity. Father, we love you and we praise you and we give this response time over to you. Uh, in your name I pray.